The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to... Hi there, welcome to the Get the Funk Out show. I'm your host, Janine, and this morning I have very special guest, Sue Enquist. And Sue is a coach. She has got an incredible bio. If you go to sueenquist.com, she holds more national championships than anyone in the history of softball. She is UCLA softball's first All-American national champion and Hall of Famer. And in 2006, Enquist concluded her storied 27-year career as head coach of the UCLA Bruins with an 887 to 175 record, making her the winningest softball coach among all active coaches. She's the only person in the NCAA softball history to win a championship as a head coach and a player. So please welcome Coach Sue Enquist. Hi, Sue. How are you? Good. How are you? Excellent. Thanks for joining us on this Monday morning. Well, it's great to be here. You know, I met you at uh, TEDx a couple months back, and I was really taken with a lot of the things you had to say. I think they're relevant to people really in any, you know, um, occupation, and I, I really uh, welcome you to the show. Well, uh, hopefully I have an opportunity to share some of the things that I've learned both as a student athlete and also as a coach. That'd be great. That'd be great. Tell me a little bit about your backstory. How did you get involved in coaching? Well, I, I grew up in uh, San Clemente, and I'm a product of a military father and a mother that uh, taught me that uh, nothing is, uh, no, you can go after everything. Nice. And uh, I had a brother that uh, taught me how to compete, a sister who gave me great faith through the whole process. Grew up at San Clemente High School and played boys baseball. That got me to UCLA. That drew a lot of attention uh, back then uh, when Title IX uh, just uh, became law. Um, and ironically, in 2012, we're celebrating the 40th anniversary of Title IX. Wow. And I went to UCLA. My goal was to be a respiratory therapist and was going to go into that direction with a BS in kinesiology. And my head coach at the time said, would you help for one quarter before you finish out with your degree? Okay. And I said, sure, but I'm never going to get into coaching. And the <laughs> coaching bug bit me because I was really, I really enjoyed sharing information and watching how other people were able to be successful uh, and it was a great sense of satisfaction in helping them attain their goal. That's great. That's great. And then uh, do you think that, you know, can you imagine yourself doing any other sport or was this just innate in you, softball? I, well, I always loved baseball and, uh, you know, in general, student-athletes gravitate to the sport that they're good at. I, I played all sports in high school and, and was a swimmer, and my passion is in surfing. But I, I ended up doing well in softball, so when you do well, you have a tendency to stay committed to it. And, and I reaped wonderful benefits traveling the world, playing for our national team and being a part of our Olympic program. So I think it was really more about that great fit 
And uh, if I was really good in basketball, I may be talking to you today regarding basketball, but definitely my calling was softball. Can you uh, suggest to parents who say, well, you know, my child doesn't have time for sports or I'm not very athletic or they're not very very athletic. Do you think sports are an important, I know you're going to say what the answer is, but uh, what do you think, what would you suggest for parents who want to get their kids involved in sports, but they're not quite sure? Do you think it really is so important as far as the balance of academics? Well, I think that if I were talking to the parents, I would say just encourage your young children to do something that involves movement and to do something that involves performance Mm -hmm. because the life lessons that you learn in whether it be competing, getting involved with activities, and um, competing alongside or against other individuals, you learn how to prepare for competition. You learn how to love the struggle. And you learn that every single day that in competing that the game doesn't have a memory. So you have a new opportunity to start over every day. And so I really am more of a broad-based thinker in terms of sport, more so performance. So if your daughter's going to be a great dancer or a great musician or something like that, I think that's huge to encourage them. But at the same time, movement, make sure that they're going out every day and being active and being outside and put the iPhone down and put the computer down and, and, and just get some time outside and interacting and, and staying you know, active so you can remain healthy longer, as we all know, uh, the, the troubles that we're having with obesity in this country. Right, right. And I shared with you, my daughter plays basketball, and at first she didn't really want to do it, and now she's so into it where, you know, she might have a lot of homework, but it's a great outlet after school. It does fill up part of your day, but what it gives you is an opportunity at a young age to develop discipline, Mm -hmm. and that provides you opportunities to prioritize if you're disciplined, and then you learn how to structure. We find that athletes that uh, have open days almost don't even know how to respond to that, so we want our student-athletes to be able to have that experience because we know when you go into the workplace, you're going to have to assess, prioritize, break it down, execute it, and let it be fueled by discipline because we know that 75% of your work is not necessarily your passion. Yes. And to, to be able to prioritize and understand how that works day in and day out, you learn those skills very early on as a student-athlete. Right, right. You know, and now that um, I've talked to other parents about this, now that the kids are in the groove of, you know, playing sports after school, it's really only an hour. It's, you know, and it it helps them sleep better, feel better. My my daughter says, wow, I feel so great to be part of this team where kids are older, but we don't necessarily say, oh, she's better than me. We all feel like we're at the same level. Absolutely. And at the same time, these statistics from the Women's Sports Foundation uh, have come out on the effect sport has on the female, that she's going to grow up with a greater sense of confidence. There are less pregnancies. Uh, emotionally, she's more stable. There's so many residual effects uh, specifically for gender uh, of the female. And um, the, reaping the benefits um, with boys are, are just as important. But I think this, the statistics that what the female goes through and how that can give her more skills to be successful uh, to me is extremely valuable. That's great. That's great. Could we jump back to your bio? I've, I've been reading it. Uh, by the way, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Coach Sue Enquist. This is the Get the Funk Out show. I'm your host, Janine. And Sue, you have an incredible bio. We touched on it briefly, but could you tell me more about what happened after you got involved in you know, coaching and 
just all the different things you've been involved in? Well, you know, I think a lot of people may look at my bio and think, oh, she's that girl that, you know, super smart and she was the best one. And in reality, I, I wasn't always the best one and I wasn't the smartest, but I was surrounded by influencers that taught me that I just needed to be great on my effort and my attitude in terms of give 100% of what you have and, and be positive and stay positive in your thoughts. Even though we know we have a strong voice and a weak voice, you have to stay in your strong voice, but more importantly, be aware right. when you get in your negative voice. Mm-hmm. And so that that occurred very early in my lifetime with John Springman, my little league coach, and then Mr. Seymour, my elementary teacher that taught me girls could love science. And then it was my baseball coach, Joe Clutie from San Clemente High School that uh, literally was a huge uh, connector to me getting to UCLA because of the exposure. And once I got to UCLA, I was at an institution that taught me how to learn, not necessarily taught me chemistry or biology. Mm -hmm. It did, but it taught me how to learn. It taught me how to assess systems, figure out what needed to get done, and provided me with tools to be successful in other environments, whether it be breaking down a defense in softball or learning how to start my own business to being confident crossing outside of my comfort zone and relying on my fundamentals and being able to execute outside my comfort zone. So UCLA provided me an opportunity to be a student athlete but also challenged me to be more. So when I got into coaching, I wanted to do more than just coaching. So mm-hmm. I started my own business and created embedded products to to, for our softball uh, demographic. And then when I finished coaching after 27 years, and I loved it. I loved it as much the last day as I did the first day because Sharon Backus, who was my coach, taught me to keep it in perspective that, you know, wins and losses, they, they come and go. It's about how you treat people, how you affect people that will have a lasting effect. And nice. for me, I wanted to be able to continue to do that. So now I um, travel the country and, and share the methods that, that I've learned in terms of how to be competitively excellent in terms of your own personal best. And my greatest influence in my coaching life was by far uh, Coach John Wooden, who helped me uh, be my best as a, as a teacher uh, who happened to coach on the softball field. That's tremendous. I remember reading some of his quotes in the newspaper in the L.A. Times and being completely blown away. I was just... Um, you know, he always said the hardest thing to do is to master the fundamentals because it's so clear. So there's really not a whole whole lot of excuses that you can throw out there on why you're not mastering your fundamentals, both mm-hmm. on the ball field and in life. And so I've just tried to really live a simple life and be really good at a few things. And if we can teach our parents out there to to do that with their children and allow their children to go out there and fail, I mean, I... One of the things that I spend a lot of time on is going across the country and, and talking about failure and how you overcome failure and hold hands with failure. Don't be afraid of failure. And that way kids can kind of exhale like, okay, good. It's not about the scholarship because we're, we're suffocating our student-athletes today with doing everything all about the scholarship when we know 99.99% mm-hmm. do not get to go to the school that they want to on a full ride. So let's look at the math of that and adjust our lives accordingly where sport is an outlet and not necessarily the only driver to getting to college. Nice, nice. Yeah, I tell my girls, you know, I wasn't an A student. They did, they're did. they doing so much better than I ever did. 
But I had balance. I have, you know, a lot of different variables in my life. Sports, I played lacrosse, I played basketball. And I say, I don't know how I got to be varsity basketball, but I think I had a great attitude. I worked hard, I showed up, and I gave it my all. Right. And and I think for even the listeners to understand that, you know, people that are champions, they may get to the top and disappear, but people that are sustainable champions, the, the individual in your workplace or in your community, they just show up every day. Mm-hmm. It seems to me what they've mastered is the ability to be aware when they're in their good and bad thoughts, and they just keep moving through them without it affecting their effort outwardly. And once we can build that awareness with our student-athletes, they're going to go out there, be good performers. They may not win all the time, but they're always going to treat their teammates consistently and with respect. They're going to respect their elders and their coaches. And at the end of the day, they're going to be the person that people will say, I love competing with that girl. She showed up every day on good days and bad. Nice, nice. You know, when I met you at TEDx, you talked about bottom feeders, and and I, I would love you to share that story, if you wouldn't mind, because um, you talked about different people in your life and how we tend to bring those people to our dinner tables and our breakfast tables. Well, I think that what's interesting is we go through life so quickly, we lose the awareness. And for me, I learned this a long time ago, and it was simply called the 33% rule. And the 33% rule is really your armor. It's something that's going to protect you and your greatness. And if you have that awareness of the 33% rule in your family, in your community, in your workplace, on your athletic team, these people won't affect you negatively. But in general, we can simply say that there are a third of the people that will just suck the life out of you. They are that individual that just never put a filter on it. No one ever told them you're in a we environment right now. Then you get the middle third. The middle third blowing the wind. When things are great, they're great. And when things are bad, they're the ones that turn into bottom third. And then the top third, they understand the conversation that goes on in their head, that they have negative thoughts, but they don't let that affect their behavior or their outward words. So top third is what you want to be because in our in our life, we have a tendency to bring home the bottom third. We get done with that tough day. We get in the car. We drive home, sit down. There's your family having dinner. And all you start to do is spew the bottom third language about the bottom third. And now you've got bottom third sitting down and having dinner with your family. So true. It's about awareness. Right. So true. And I use this example because my daughters were in the car and they were venting about somebody at school. And I said, you know what? Now this person is having breakfast with us. Right. And let's open the window and shove her out. (laughs) Right. And it's just about awareness. It's not about being perfect. It's about being aware of what you're doing because whether you're 8, 18, 58, 88, if we can build the awareness component, people are usually pretty good at recalibrating. You've got to to practice it, but once you're aware, you can work on passing through and go, wait a minute, I'm not bringing B3 home with me right now. I just spent all day with B3. Why would I bring her home? So it's a a good way of looking at it to get control of your life and enjoy the things that are important. So true, because... We do let people suck us dry, and, you know, it's like I just don't like drama in my life. I try to keep all that at bay, and I try to keep things in check, because all that really, to me, matters is, you know, my immediate family and just keeping things stable, because it's stressful enough the day in, day out of being a mom, being a woman, juggling everything, you know? 
Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I really love the opportunity to just share with the women out there that are juggling. And if you can just hang on to two things, it's to give 100% of what you have each day and surrender to the days of being 100% are over, and that's okay. Right. And if you can stay positive with your your words with your children and to be a mom, uh, I think the one thing, you know, I've only done one thing my whole life, and that was coach women 8 to 28, including the national team. And the one thing I'm finding is that the parents are, the parent role is getting lost. And I, I challenge the moms out there that your daughter, trust me, she doesn't need another friend on her Facebook. She doesn't need you to be her friend. She needs a leader. She needs a strong voice. Mm-hmm. She needs structure and she needs discipline. And you don't have to be her best friend. Be her best friend when she's 25 and she's done with college. And I think the one pattern that I have found at UCLA for 27 years, the athlete that came in balanced with a really healthy sense of self had a mom that was a mom, not a best friend, but that was my mom. I didn't party with my mom. You know, I didn't do bad things with my mom. She's my best friend. No, my mom was my mom. And I think there's a correlation there between, you know, we've got this idea that I've got to connect with my daughter. I need to talk to my daughter 27 times a day. We text 400 times. And a lot of people say, you know, well, that's just a new way to communicate. I, I disagree. Right. I disagree. I think parents need to have a specific place for their daughter so they have that anchor in their life. Because we know that on average they've got anywhere from 150 to 500 friends every day. But right. peel that back. To peel that back, studies have shown even though that they've got you know two, three, four hundred friends, they still only have less than five what they consider core friends. So moms out there, your kids. Your daughters are good. They don't need another friend. They need a mom. That's so true. That's so true. We don't we don't have to be their buddy, be cool, get, get them to like us. They need to just respect us. Sure. And, and respect simply means to guide persistently with a positive message. Don't get upset that they're going to repel because we know when they get around 12, they're going to launch into this amazing period from 12 to 18, 22. It could even go up to where they straight arm you. And there's no reason to repel for yourself. You just keep that strong, consistent message because they're eventually, Mom, they circle back around. They get to college and they realize how great they had it with you, and they'll come right back around. So be patient. It it, it will happen. I've watched it happen for 27 years. I know. It's very interesting because um, I know just growing up, you know, you go through this period where you – at one point, you can't stand your parents, and then you get older, and then you, you need them. You feel like, oh, you know, they weren't so bad after all. Right. And, you know, again, you know, we, we talked about athletics and we talked about performance. And I think what especially new parents need to tune to, to into is, like my mom always said, just find a niche. Find something that they like and support that. So I think that's an, that was an important lesson. And I, I tuned into that as I was growing older that, Kids that find their niche, it doesn't. If they like to paint, if they like to do ceramics, if they are into building video games, just support what they enjoy doing because then their passion can flourish. And if your passion can flourish, that builds your self confidence because you're usually doing something that you're good at. That puts you in a, a community of like minded people so you have a sense of self. It's when they become detached and 
don't understand their purpose every day, that things can get kind of dark for the, the student uh, in, in today's age. And they shut parents out. They, they don't sure. want to open up anymore, and it's, it's a tough time. Yes, it, extremely tough time, but the fundamentals have not changed. So if you've got a family structure, and it doesn't matter if you're a, a one or two family that you go to each day, week, as a, as a young child, mm-hmm. as long as those families have a common foundation of we're going to speak with respect, we're going to be honest, uh, we're going to treat each other with dignity, and then build from there, there will be differences in each family. But if you have that common language everywhere that that student goes, there's a consistency and a clarity that they can hang on to um, as times become so unstable. I, I think for me, my colleagues, I always challenge my colleagues not to be Captain Obvious and go, oh, kids are so different today. I'm that person that says they're not. Mm-hmm. They're not different. They want to know, where are we going? How do we get there? Catch me if I fall. Yeah. Where do you want me to sit on the bus? What's my role? And that has not changed. So we've got to stay focused on the fundamentals that have, that have remained the same through time. You know what? One other thing I'm, I learned actually from my babysitter is that um, I'm finding that I'm butting heads sometimes with my with my younger daughter who's nine, and instead of getting angry, I'm trying to get to the root cause of why she is feeling this way. In, instead of just flipping out, you know, and being like, you know, you can't talk like that. Of course, I want her to be respectful, but I want to get to the root cause of why is she upset? Why is she angry? What is she feeling? And also setting parameters, you know, very calmly. You don't talk to me like this. You know, you have to be respectful. I'm your mother. And it's, it seems to be working. I, and it helps me take a breath, be calmer. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think as a parent, when something goes wrong, and, and this is something that you always have to fight as a coach, too, because the players are always going to test the boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. And in the conflict, you're always in trouble if you're trying to impart a principle, if the principle's not clear prior to. And I'm going to assume that you've got those great principles, but they're going to test it. And I always challenge coaches and parents to do a three-to-one. Let her talk three times as much as your one in, in the conflict. So the more you can get them talking, the more they can hear themselves, and you can get to a point where maybe you will find... The, the root cause of it, and it could be something you have no idea is bothering them. But what's more important as a parent is to not get stuck in it. Mm-hmm. Be okay, be perfectly okay with the imperfection of everything that you're traversing every day. Be okay that you may not know exactly what's happening in that split second, but what you do have to do is be on her side of discipline. Say the game simply says we can't do that, mm-hmm. and so we're going to have to go ahead and take a timeout with whatever the 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 consequence is, mm-hmm. and say it won't last long. You support her now through the discipline. I think a lot of times we go to opposite ends. You're bad. We're the holders of the standard, yes. and until you get your life together, can you get back into this side? When in reality if parents and coaches could just be the voice of excellence, the voice of the principal, and say, I know this stinks, I hear you, I remember <laughs> this happened to me one time, right. but this is what we've got to do, we've got to, we've got to go ahead and go through the discipline, and we call it a cycle of discipline, just pass through it, get through the cycle of discipline, I love you regardless, and you know the rest of the story.
Exactly. You know, I tell my daughter a story when I was in college and I wasn't very good at math. It took me a long time. I had to work really hard and get extra help, but I would be in a statistics class and I was sitting in the front. I thought, I'll pay attention. I'll be in the front and I'll focus. And the teacher would ask a question. Everybody would yell at the right answer and I'd yell out the wrong answer consistently. And it became funny. You know, I, I was working, I was trying. Finally, I went for extra help, and I tell her the story of I started calling out the right answer before everybody else. Right. And I just, you know, I got focused, and I, I wasn't afraid to uh, put myself out there and, and feel dumb. I didn't know the right answer, but I worked hard. And I think what we have to be careful of, too, with, with today's kids, when we share our story, it sometimes doesn't resonate with them. Yes. Because if she's already got you in the mom bubble Mm -hmm. and she's at the age where she's not going to understand it, those will fall on deaf ears. That's so true. Here we go again. It's a story about, you know, (laughs) versus versus getting her to outwardly be able to solve it herself by you asking the questions about what do you think could help maybe, you know, and she's going to go, I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And you just have to slowly keep not prodding, but just keep talking about it, and then you can throw in those ideas of, you know, I, I know this feeling, I've been there. Yes. And I think it's important for parents to say it's okay to fail. It's okay to fail. What's not important, parents are now, they're grabbing their kids and changing teams and changing teachers super quickly, and we're not giving them the opportunity to fail so they don't acquire the skill and now they have a false confidence that deep in their core, they know they've never made it through anything because they've been passed around, so they always have the easiest path. So you have parents that say, you know what, failure's part of success. Failure holds, holds hands with success. They mm-hmm. work together. And once you teach a student that, how they can get up after their failure, that's a skill they'll hold on to their whole life. And then they have their own history to rely on in the current moment when they have struggles or difficulties. You know, Coach Whitten told me the, the, the one message we have to get to parents is every one of your children will not be the best in math and be the best in English and be the best in history. But they're, they're going to be their best if you put them in their environment to be their best. And you as a parent have to be okay if she's average at math. Mm-hmm. What's not okay is putting that pressure on that kid to be an A math student when it may not be in her cards to be a math, an a math student her entire life. And it's really about honing in on what they're good at, disciplining them to get the grades they need to get with putting such a focus on that. And I think that's a real gift and a challenge for parents to be able to do that in a balanced way. Because right now, the parents are at such a disadvantage because we're not educating them early enough on how to get to college, how to manage your finances, how to put the money away when you when you have your firstborn. We're good at getting them in the best kindergarten, but we're not doing a, a good job getting them to the bank and, and start organizing their finances, especially during this time when finances Right, right. We have to take a short break. You've been listening to Get the Funk Out, and this is my guest, Coach Sue Enquist. We'll be back in just a minute. More with Sue. We'll wrap it up a little bit before 10. And uh, Sue, hang tight. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Sounds great. Thanks.
The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the management of KUCI or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show, go to KUCI.org. As a parent, you can't help but look at your child and wonder what the future holds. You may dream about the possibility of your son or daughter becoming a professional athlete or a renowned heart surgeon. But while you're dreaming, consider this. The odds that your child will be diagnosed with autism are 1 in 166. Knowing the signs of autism and catching it early could make a world of difference to your child and to you. To learn the signs, visit AutismSpeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Packers, Vikings, Red State, Blue State. We come from different places. Uptown, downtown. We come to different conclusions. Half empty, half full. But no matter how different we are, we're all connected and we can all make a difference. That's why United Way brings people, expertise, and resources together to improve the education, income, and health of our communities, the building blocks for a better life. When we live united, our efforts, magnified by others, add up to real change. Children succeed in school, families gain financial stability, the health of our neighbors improves, and suddenly, so do our communities. But real change won't happen without you. Live Live united. So let's look beyond our differences. Live Live united. One by one, let's make a difference. Let's reach out a hand to one and influence the condition of all. (laughs) Live Live united. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Sign up today at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. The Claire Trevor School of the Arts has many dance, drama, music, and studio arts performances throughout the school year on the campus of UC Irvine. Events range from student ensembles to master classes given by professionals throughout the year that are open to the public. For more information on events and ticket prices, visit www.arts.uci.edu. If your walls could talk, what would they say? I have held four generations of photographs. I display ten cuckoo clocks, all set to the wrong time. I have had dishes thrown at me. I have been drawn on, cleaned, drawn on, cleaned, drawn on. I have caused the gradual decline of a child's IQ. I have given a four-year-old a speech impediment. I am the reason a first grader constantly yells out. Just because you can't see lead paint doesn't mean it's not on walls, doors, windows, and sills. Today, lead paint poisoning affects over 1 million children. If your home was built before 1978, your family could be at risk. Let's make all kids lead-free kids. Log on to leadfreekids.org or call 800-424-LEAD. I am the root of a child's violent behavior. Brought to you by the Coalition to End Childhood Lead Poisoning. EPA, HUD, and the Ad Council. Hi there, you're listening to Get the Funk Out. I'm your host, Janine, and we're going to be back in just a second with Coach Sue Enquist. If you want more information on Sue, visit her website at sueenquist.com. So we were talking earlier about failure and fear, and I thought that was an interesting topic to brush on. Well, you don't find a lot of people talking about it because, first, we don't know enough about what creates those thoughts, but there's so much science research that's being done on how the brain works, and there's some things that we do know already that if we aren't doing a better job of making people comfortable with those thoughts that I may fail at this, the more we're able to talk about it. For me, regarding competition, the one thing that is impressive 
when I look back at my career and all the colleagues that I've had an opportunity to work with now as a retired coach and traversing the country and, and seeing all these different successful programs across sport lines, I've come to find a really common theme that's woven through all of them, despite the gender, sport, school. One thing that's common among all sustainable programs that are successful, and I'm talking about if they're in the thick of it at the end competing. I'm not saying they have to win it every year, but their student-athletes graduate, they have a quality experience, and they're competing at the end for a championship. Mm -hmm. The common element is they speak so freely and embrace the thoughts of fear that it minimizes it, and it no longer becomes that dirty little secret. Uh, when you think about all these great athletes out there, there's this sense that, oh, they've been blessed with the, the warrior gene, and they just never really let fear capture them. And that's just not true. Sure. It, if anything, the one that's expected to win has to master the fear and the fear of failure the most because everyone's expecting that person to be successful. And I know firsthand in dealing with our student-athletes, what made them great is that they just passed through that negative language. In other words, the brain has two voices. It has the good voice, we know what that sounds like, mm -hmm. and it has that negative voice. That's the voice that projects ahead, fear of failure, I'm going to fail, right. and it projects behind well, I'm not worth it, I've struck out every day, or I'm never going to be good at this because I never have been good at it. Right. But the sustainable champion has this ability to go, oh, I got you, weak voice, I see what you're doing, and have that ability to capture all the positive trigger words and take over that conversation. And then when fear happens, they're very, very objective about it, that it is an a learning opportunity. And Billie Jean King, I learned this from Billie Jean King, one of our greatest role models, oh, yeah. that pressure is a privilege. To be able to be in a moment where there's so much at stake, that's a, that's a privilege. It's not something where you're going to be an idiot if you lose that game. And so these sustainable programs do a good job of letting the athlete, let the athlete off the hook. Let them, let them talk about that fear. You know, hey, I'm, I'm a little bit anxious and be aware of am I in my green lights? Mm -hmm. which is all positive, my yellow lights, I'm feeling anxious, or my red lights, I am in a complete terrible space right now. That awareness allows them to trigger their positive words. I've done this before. I've earned the right to be confident. Strong words create good behavior and more times than not put you in a position to execute the level of capability that you have in terms of your preparation and your skill. You know, and I also think, Sue, that uh, being nervous makes you prepare more each and every time, so you become more self-confident after all those different experiences. Well, yeah, and remember, nervous, see, I, for me, nervous is excitement turned inside out. Oh, nice. See, nervous, your body doesn't know if you're in the finals of the World Series or the finals of the Super Bowl or a wedding or a final of your geometry test. Mm -hmm. Your body doesn't know. It's your brain that's putting the label on that energy. So for us at UCLA, and sustainable champions never say, oh, I'm so nervous, I'm so nervous. Mm -hmm. You'll hear them always say, I'm really excited. Ah. And, and that's a different way to teach your body how to look forward and love the anticipation of what we call the day to celebrate. The day to celebrate is the day you get tested. 
you get to celebrate all your hard work you put in. So it's not about, oh, the final of that history test or the Super Bowl. It's like, I'm going to love the anticipation to this final day because I've spent the last nine months getting ready for it. So I'm going to love the anticipation. That's 99% of our life, by the way. Mm-hmm. I don't want to define myself on the last two hours of the season. Right. I love it. I love it. And did you? I'm sure you found yourself a lot having to instill this in the kids you were coaching. Well, sure. And there were days when I knew collectively we were not using the proper language. Yet for me myself, I had to go out there and continue to share the proper language and be un completely nothing could influence me, even though I know that there were pockets of weakness. That's what we need our teachers to do. Don't sit there and be Captain Obvious and say, yeah, you know, we stink. We're terrible at this. Thank you, Captain Obvious. I see that. <laughs> we have not scored three runs, and we're right. down by five. Yes. Be the person that says how to do everything. So you can state the situation, and always, if you're a good teacher, a good coach, you always, after you state the obvious, you give the how-to. Teach them how to cross the bridge over to success as they sit in that failure moment and be okay with failure. Don't be so high and low because that's too draining for for students and student athletes. Mm -hmm. You know what I love listening to you uh, now and also at TEDx is that the things that you instill are not just sports related, they're life. Well, definitely. I think that has to do with I was brought up where they were all connected. I I was brought up in a family. My dad was a, a two-time Purple Heart World War II veteran, and my mom was the you know, hard worker and super positive, and they instilled these values that had no boundaries. In other words, you didn't get to turn that off when you went to class or turn that off when you went on the ball field. Mm-hmm. And I learned that these lessons must be present everywhere. And you don't get that. I think what's interesting about sports is I wish we would change the standard in sport that if you're a coach, it's unacceptable to yell across the field at a nine-year-old. And if I'm a parent, it's unacceptable to be yelling at your kids and the umpire. And if I'm a student athlete, it's unacceptable to throw your helmet. I wish those standards on the athletic arena were as high as they are in the classroom. The parent would never run into a classroom and yell at a teacher. Right, right. The kid would never stand up and throw the pencil across the room. Right. But for some reason, we've given athletics a pass, and, and, uh, and that's disappointing. We need to continue to work and get better at that. I think we'll, we'll, at the end, sport will be a, a even much more positive experience than it even currently is. Uh, one of the things I shared with you, and I'd love your advice again, is um, when my daughter has a game and she might not do so well, the team might not do so well, and then right after my husband's driving her home, and my daughter says, I don't want to hear Daddy tell me what I did wrong, give me a rehash of the game, you know. Yeah. I just well, don't want yeah, to it's, uh, you know, where would we be without our dads? I mean, our yeah. dads are unbelievable. But the first thing that I always try to tell people is many times, and I'm going to genderize a little bit, so I'm going to call myself out, but okay. guys see sport differently. Mm-hmm. And there isn't as much of an emotional connection to who they are as much as what happened. Let's break it down and let's re-break it down. The bad news is your daughter may not have the same brain as you. And so I always tell parents, tell your kids, we're going to have some ground rules. Give the daughter five-minute cool-down period Mm -hmm. to the car. When you get in the car, 
daughter, you're responsible for having an engaging conversation. But parents, one area that you will not tap into is breaking the game down if she does not want to break it down. I mean, I have found they want to know two things when the game's over. They want to know Taco Bell or Carl's Jr. <laughs> That's all they want to know. Right. And so if we could just get these little mini ground rules, I know students would enjoy being with their parents after the game much more than uh, what happens right now with our dads. And if I could take a minute to share with you what I've learned about dads through my 27 years of Please. coaching. go ahead. Is they have a different effect in a girl's athletic career than moms do. Moms have done an incredible job of knowing and teaching their daughters that they're there for their daughters, and they have that great relationship. But dads, because they want their daughter to be the best and their intentions are completely great intentions, their words are indelible on the brain of their young daughters. And what I have learned is the student athlete that comes into our program at UCLA, 18 years old, and she has a strong self-image and she has a strong sense of confidence on the ball field. She had the dad that was at an arm's length. He was the one that let her manage the game before and after. He was the one that let her win and lose on the field, and he wasn't necessarily under her skin 24-7. Because what happens is, in their attempt to make her be better, because guys will have a tendency to say what you're doing wrong all the time. Okay. And that's just how they're wired. They don't attach an emotion to it, whereas girls can take that personally. And when you take that personally for 8, 10 years before you become a young adult, that's going to affect your strength outside the ball field. Sure. And so now you're 18, you've made it, good for you, but on the inside, you're dead. You don't believe in yourself, mm -hmm. you're not happy because you've been beaten up for 10 years. Good, you got there. You can hit the ball 300 feet, but inside you're dead. And so I always warn the dads, the old positive sandwich. So literally for every comment of Camp That Obvious, have two comments of positive. So you have positive constructive, and then positive, the good old positive sandwich. And I think that's an, that's an old term, but it's certainly an important one. So your daughter doesn't go on to college, bring home the loser at the dinner table, mm -hmm. and you look and go, why did you bring this loser home? Well, remember all your strong words when she's 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. Right. And he's really not critical, but he would just love to just spend a little time uh, talking about it and giving her some constructive feedback because he plays basketball. So maybe we can set some ground rules with her as far as, okay, you'll have dinner. We'll just talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, though, I, I, I'm gonna, I, I may push back with you Go a little ahead. bit. His job with her, mm -hmm. she just wants a dad. I know. She, she doesn't <laughs> even want a coach for two minutes at the dinner table. I know. She just wants a dad. I know. She's I got... Know so many coaches in her life. She does. She just wants a dad. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I only did one thing my whole life, and that thing is probably more clear than anything else. Be a dad first. Be the one that says, catch her, I tell dads this, remember this, catch her doing it right and talk about that. Mm -hmm. so catch true. her doing it right and talk about that. Because dad's words are the Sharpie pen. They're indelible on their brain. Right. No, so true. So true. So true. What advice would you give uh, women who can't seem to get out of a funk, they can't even fit, they say they can't fit exercise into their lives? Is it, is it something that's always been a part of your life, but would you give any advice to that? 
Well, it's first to stop the language that's absolute like that, because you have the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everybody has one minute. So I would say to everybody out there, start with one minute today, and and let it be one minute. So when you're watching Ellen this afternoon, or you're driving your kids all over town, and you're waiting in that big, long line outside the elementary school, just do 25 leg extensions while you're sitting in the car. Just push the seat back and do 25 leg extensions. And then tomorrow, do 35, and then you know the math from there. And pretty soon you're going to go, you know what? I think I'm going to park my car 15 minutes before I go to the elementary school, and I'm going to go ahead and lap the elementary school once, twice, three times, and move up. And then what you're going to find is you're going to start pushing out all the other noise in your life. And I don't need to go down and have coffee for an hour and be bottom third with my girlfriends. I'm only going to go down there for the last 15 minutes to do a check-in. Sure. Sure. It's all about just chipping it away and do the toe test every day. You wake up, do the toe test, you just hit the floor, check yourself. Oh, you're at 70% today, you've got the flu, you've got three meetings, you've got to pick up five kids, you've got to serve dinner, you're at 60%, give 100% of that 60. Cut your day out in the quarters, we're in the football season, so every day has four quarters. Or maybe you're a cook, so split your pie into four pieces and break down each part of your pie. So if you have the first slice of pie is pretty crummy, start over. Now you're going into your second slice of pie. And I think that's a way to recalibrate your mindset and how your language works in your head. Be aware of the strong and weak voice. The thing that's ironic, if you ever listen to how you talk to yourself, you would never let anybody else talk to you that way. So why do you talk to your own self that way? So true. So true. We're on our own worst critics. Yes. Tell me about, you were a former professional surfer. Well, earlier in my career, I was an amateur all through junior high and high school, and I turned pro at the end of my career, and I absolutely loved it. I had a wonderful, wonderful upbringing in San Clemente, the hotbed of of great surfers who were the gatekeepers of probably the best stretch of beach, I'd claim, in California. And I had great influences in Midget Smith and Rick James and um, the Harlow Brothers and just grew up surfing and competing and loved it. And uh, honestly, that's my passion to this day. I do it all all the time and uh, afforded me an opportunity to turn pro. I just wasn't good enough or else I would be a surfer today (laughs) if I could. my coaching provided me an opportunity to make a career of it and obviously ended up sticking with that and it worked out quite well. And is that your go-to outlet as far as exercise or surfing? It is is definitely. If there's no surf, I paddle Mm -hmm. and uh, and then I run every day. So I just try to do those fundamental things. Uh, You know, people think, oh, you must do a million things activity-wise. I really don't. I just do a few things consistently and uh, try to keep my life simple and as Coach Wynn says, make every day your masterpiece, your masterpiece. You don't have to be perfect. Just perfectly try at being perfect. Right. And tell me about, on your website, Prepare, Love, and Honor, the game. Well, it's a, it's a life model in everything that we do. You have the dad game, the mom game. Dad's got a job. He's got the job game. Mom's got to work. She's got the work game. And we've got sport. We've got school. But in that, there are three principles It's a model that crosses all gender, all sport, all workplaces, in that every everything that you do, you have to love the anticipation and love the preparation. 
that preparation is the first principle in our life model, and that you, if you want to be a sustainable champion, meaning the best you're capable of being, you've got to literally be focused on getting 1% better. You've got to love the anticipation, and you've got to be able to take those baby steps. We always say just take the baby steps every day. The second thing, what makes a sustainable champion and your ability to reach competitive greatness, that's the tip of the triangle for the pyramid of success, of Coach Wooden's pyramid of success, is to be able to love and, and be committed to it, to mm-hmm. be committed to the struggle. And competitive greatness means being great on good days and bad. And for me, I found the second principle to love what you do, not when it's being good to you, but love it on the tough days, because those are the people we have a tendency to follow are the people that see the light when it's dark. And so be that person to love the struggle. And the last principle simply means honor the game, meaning that the game doesn't know your history. The game doesn't know your size, doesn't know your background. And when we look at athletics and we look at greatness, what makes them and keeps them great is that they truly believe that today's a new day to be great all over again. You can't rest on history. Mm-hmm. Because the great thing about excellence is you must show up and execute it each day. And so honoring the game means you may be a freshman in high school, but the game doesn't know how old you are. Master the fundamentals of that game, and you're going to play some pretty good ball. The game doesn't know that you've been the top salesman for the last six years. You've got to wake up today and go out there and execute. So for me, the three principles in life and in sport, uh, in the workplace, are prepare, love, and honor. I love it. Sue, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I want to thank you so much. You bet. Thanks for having me. And they can go to your website, sueenquist.com? Yes. And if they want to send you an email or message you on Facebook? Uh, they, yes, I'm on Facebook, or they can follow me on Twitter, or I give out my email. I'm pretty transparent, suenquist at me.com. Pretty easy stuff. Beautiful. Have a wonderful day, and thank you again so much. Thank you. Have a good day. You Bye-bye. too. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Get the Funk Out. Uh, that was Sue Enquist. And if you want more, again, visit our website, suenquist.com. Coming up next, Cure for the Blues. Have an amazing Monday.